it's about peace, and you're listening to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And you can find us streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are grateful that you are here with us, and we invite you to become part of a deepening dialogue on spirituality. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. We have the rabbi and the Muslim minister with us today, but the Christian pastor is off. So I am Rabbi Ted Falcon. I am Brother Jamal Rahman. And this is an interactive show, so from time to time I will be reminding you of our phone numbers, which I'm going to do right now. Our number is 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527, or from Western Washington, toll-free, 888 298 And for more information at any time, please visit our website at interfaithtalkradio.com. Jamal and I are here with Eric Ryder, our engineer, whom you may hear from from time to time. And in the next segment of the show, we will be welcoming Kata Nafisi, a friend of Jamal's and a Muslim woman who grew up in Iran. Jamal and I thought that since we are here kind of fending for ourselves this afternoon, that it would be a good time for us to focus on some of the issues pertaining to Muslims and Jews in our culture. And I suppose we need to start with looking at what's the difficulty? Why are there so many problems? between the Muslims and the Jews in today's culture. Well, Rabbi Ted, uh, let me start by saying that um, there is such a closeness between Jews and Muslims, as the Quran says, uh, not only of Jews, but really of all religions, that uh, we all come from one soul and we come from this one God. So, a very short answer to your question is it's such a close family that it has developed very severe dysfunctions. But I want to emphasize a little bit about that closeness, uh, especially in the Quran. As you know, Abraham in the Quran is called the friend of God. Moses, and there is as much about Moses in the Quran as Prophet Muhammad, and Prophet uh, Moses is called the voice of God. Give the give the listeners an idea of when was the Quran written, Jamal. This is in the seventh century, and uh, Muslims believe that this is a divine revelation. And uh, there's a very beautiful story to it, if I may tell you, because every Muslim knows what is called the Night of Power, where Prophet Muhammad was meditating, and he was uh, a person who meditated a great deal, uh, a great mystic effect unknown to non-Muslims. He would go in the mountains and meditate, and one evening he was meditating, and to his utter astonishment, he saw this light coming towards him, and he was mortified. And the light came and announced itself as Angel Gabriel. said, I'm Angel Gabriel, and the famous words are Iqra, Iqra, meaning recite, recite. 
And all Prophet Muhammad could do was, you know, at that time he was Muhammad, but he became a prophet after this. All he could say was, I am unlettered, I am illiterate. But he was petrified. He ran down the mountain in the arms of his beloved wife Khadija, who after consulting with a distant cousin who happened to be a Christian, a blind one, a blind seer, she sent him back, please go back at once again. This voice, Iqra, once again, this angel Gabriel. And then suddenly words of beauty began to pour out from the depths of uh, mystery. And these words became seared into his soul. And he ran down the mountain telling his family what those words were. And this happened intermittently for 23 years, sometimes unpredictably, sometimes in answer to a question. And the collection of that has become the Quran, which literally means the recitation. Mm. So I wonder how much of the difficulty that we perceive in our day is really based on religion and how much is based on politics. I would say bulk of it, Rabbi Ted, on politics. Historically, the relationship between Muslims and Jews after uh, some difficulties initially in the 7th century, really all historians agree it was remarkably peaceful. Not perfect, not perfect, but remarkably peaceful until the establishment of Israel. My point is, the problem is rooted in politics, not in religion. But it disguises itself as a religious issue. Right. And I suspect that if there is to be any kind of solution, the solution will also have to come from spiritual dimensions rather than solely political dimensions. Absolutely. Looking at the world today, it's hard to imagine that the solutions that everyone seeks can be found on the same level that the problem is manifesting. One has to find some way of rising above it. It's, It's kind of shocking how, as brothers, and we are literally brothers, following from the tradition of Abraham, each of us descendants of one of the sons of Abraham, Isaac for the Jewish people and Ishmael for the Arab peoples. And as you said, nobody can fight like brothers can. Yes. Um, The opposite is true as well. Nobody can love Mm -hmm. as brothers can. And in our adventures in Israel last year, it became very clear when we talked to some of the Muslims, there was an incredible feeling of closeness on a personal level, a clear ability to recognize each other, to recognize and support each other. But it is so difficult to hold on to those values, to hold on to that reality in the midst of the ways we perceive each other in the political arena. Absolutely. I remember, Jamal, you teaching me something that it took me a, a great deal of time to grasp. Because from my point of view, I look at a map of the Middle East, and I see a sliver, a little country called Israel. At its longest, it's 260 miles long. At its widest, it's 60 miles wide. At its narrowest, it's between three and nine miles wide. It's really tiny. You could fit, it fits seven times into the state of Florida. And statistically, it's one six hundred and fortieth the size of the Arab countries around it. 
So from my point of view, I look at this tiny little country, Israel, surrounded by all this might, and you have finally taught me that from the Arab sensibility, they see it, they, they, they meet it exactly opposite. From their point of view, they are being squashed, pushed out, narrowed by this huge entity of Israel. And the difference in the way we perceive each other and the way we perceive each other's power and strength is incredible. Very much so. So this politics you mentioned, the fear of politics, the hate in the politics, the despair uh, because of the political uh, considerations has caused such a veiling between heart to heart, the Arab-Israeli conflict. I think, uh, Rabbi Ted, we can find some of the solutions in our own scriptures. They're so similar, uh, you know, in the fact that we all are so fiercely monotheistic. Mm -hmm. uh, two verses, if I may just repeat to you ones that you know very well where the Quran says that God has deliberately, intentionally created diversity only for one reason, that we might get to know one another. So this means that we have to start and end at the human level. We have to really see the humanity in the other. Stop demonizing each other. Because as the Quran again, another verse says, when there is this demonizing, this huge magnification of fear and anger, the Quran says it's not that the eyes become blind, the hearts become blind. So we have to really work on that one-to-one, -one, heart to heart contact between Muslim and Jew at the grassroots level. That I feel as the major hope and possibility. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And it remains one of the terrible and terribly confusing issues of our time. We can intuit a reality of meeting. We know a greater sharing. But somehow in our in the lives we live, we're not able to make a connection between that deeper knowing mm -hmm. and how we live in the world. When issues of fear come up, when issues of pain come up, we react, and our reactions are sometimes extreme. And yet when we look at them, rather than say, oops, we then justify them by reacting more and reacting more. We do that in our personal relationships, and we do that as countries, not only uh, focusing on Israel and the dilemmas there, but on Iraq and our relations with so many countries in our day. We're going to take a break in a moment, and when we come back, we are going to welcome Kata Nafisi, and we're going to look into some of the more personal aspects of growing up as a Muslim in Iran and see if we can cut through some of the stereotypes with which we live. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be back in a moment. It's called Bet Aleph Meditative Synagogue, and it's a spiritual community led by Rabbi Ted Falcon. I've been a seeker all my life, but I never expected to find meditation and spirituality in a Jewish context. Learn more about Rabbi Ted and Ben Aleph at jewishspiritualcommunity.com. That's jewishspiritualcommunity.com. 
www.thepacific.com. The United Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index dot php. We wish you blessings for your life. Do you suffer from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. Unity of Bellevue is an inclusive community for spiritual growth, where all are valued, where positive attitudes are developed, where spiritual laws of life are taught, where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org. Commonly known as NICO, Northwest Interfaith Community Outreach traces its history to the first anniversary of 9 11. Committed to promoting interfaith dialogue and understanding, its purpose is captured in its mission statement, celebrating spirit through interfaith collaboration and compassionate works of justice in the world. For information on how to get involved, go to interfaithtalkradio.com and click on NICO. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Spread the word. You don't have to settle for the usual talk radio. Now there's Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And here on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, we are Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide, streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com, where you can always find additional information about our program and engage in a lively discussion even between our shows. We are on 1150 a.m. from 5 to 6 every Monday. And we're grateful that that you are here with us, and we are inviting you to become a part of a deepening dialogue on interfaith, spirituality. As Jamal and I were talking in the beginning of this hour, probably what holds the most hope is learning about each other and engaging in the creation of 
environments in which we can speak and we can listen. And we have with us today a very good friend of Jamal, Kata Nafisi, who I would like to have Jamal say a few words about why we have chosen to share with her on the air. Well, first of all, I think because uh, I feel so blessed to have this very uh, dear being in my life as one of my very best friends. And what a wonderful balance she has. Let me just give you, without embarrassing her, her credentials. She has a PhD from Sorbonne in Paris, of course. She has worked extensively in the United Nations, in the Middle East, in Africa, in the headquarters in New York, uh, specializing in uh, women's development programs. And then not long ago, well, a few years ago, she got a medical degree from University of Washington and is currently practicing as a chronic pain specialist. My point is, in Islam, uh, Prophet Muhammad always emphasized that move from a knowledge of the tongue to a knowledge of the heart. And Katayun brings with her uh, so much wisdom and compassion, which is why I say I'm blessed to have her. Well, as any friend of Jamal's has to be a friend of all of ours. So, Kata, welcome. And I, I'd, I'd like you. to encourage you to share a little with us on how it was to be a Muslim woman growing up in Iran. Definitely. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity and say that I feel truly blessed because any space, any opportunity and occasion that we human beings as a whole can find to bring out the truth about ourselves and each other, it will help with the peace uh, on our planet Earth. So I feel very blessed and thank you very much, Jamal, for your um, a very, very kind, generous introduction. Uh, Ted, to uh, answer your question, uh, actually, first, I would like to um, transcend the stereotype that the uh, people in America, I have noticed, have about uh, the Iranian women um, and the Muslim women, maybe as a whole, that these are women that are in veil and these are women that are oppressed and these are women that basically have no uh, authority in their life and uh, the path of their life is identified by the male presence, be the father, brother or a husband. And even in some cases, they say even your son tells you what to do. But that is not really the reality. Maybe there are some uh, fractions of the um, Muslim societies that um, uh, live uh, by that formula. But I was raised in a family that was definitely Muslim, very much uh, believing in the principles of Islam, um, but also quite emancipated, which actually makes my family a family that was practicing the essence of Islam. And I think the essence of every religion will actually bring us together. So mm. plurality will move to unity when the essence of religions is believed in, practiced, and abided by. What, was so, that different? Like, was your experience growing up different from your friends who were growing up around you? I believe so, because my mother and father, um, they injected a lot of respect and love um, for um, 
the Jewish and Christians and the Baha'is and the Zoroastrians. And those were basically the major uh, belief systems in my country. And uh, even in our upbringing, my mother recited poetry uh, that uh, actually is quite abundant in Persian literature about the values of Jesus, about the goodness of Jesus, about the transcendental experience of being connected to Jesus. And then also Moses had exactly the same um, place in our upbringing because um, Moses was known as the person that uh, basically uh, left the comfort of the palace and went for the salvation of people that were deprived. So whenever my mother was trying to um, make us better human beings, she would actually use the examples either in the form, form of poetry or some stories of other religions. And believe me, it was not just uh, one of a kind. I think at school and at college and at different phases of my life, I noticed that there is a lot of appreciation, respect, and even a loving curiosity about other religions. And I'm so saddened by the fact that Muslims are known as people that are not open to other religions and they are rigid, which is not really the truth about the majority of Muslims because Islam, as it is a cliche now, is about peace and love and um, salam at uh, Everybody means peace. Right. Yeah. One of the difficulties is it seems that, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The ones who make the most noise get the most attention. Absolutely. And what I'm particularly interested in as we speak is you are speaking from what you called an emancipated Muslim upbringing and uh, as an emancipated Muslim woman. Which is actually what is she a woman really should be because Shia and Sunni, if you, I want to uh, mention one difference between the two, the Sunni are abiding by the uh, sayings of Quran uh, word by word, and they believe that the, nothing should be modified, nothing should be changed, and the temporal passage does not impact uh, anything. But the Shia believe that uh, depending on time and the situations in life, we have to have the freedom to interpret certain rules, regulations, certain things, but not the principles, of course. Therefore, I think emancipation means that you free yourself from the binding and uh, from the lures of uh, the rigidity that maybe was practiced many, many centuries ago. And it was maybe necessary for that era, but not for our time. So I am, I think, a very um, close person in heart and soul and practice to the Islamic principles. My compassion, uh, my understanding of other people, the love that I have for the unity of religions, and the respect that I have for the members of different belief systems, uh, uh, this uh, is what Muhammad and Ali wanted for all of us, I think. Now, obviously, some there are Muslims who would not agree with that. Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, it is very important to know uh, what socioeconomic class and what educational group we are talking to. That makes a difference. Also, one thing should not be uh, ignored or forgotten, and that is what kind of experience 
each Muslim nation or community has had with other religious um, members. I think mm -hmm. it is very important. Iran comes from a history where uh, Cyrus was the receiver of the exodus of the Jews to Iran and respected them and um, sheltered them, and uh, they were very much integrated into the Iranian system, uh, I mean the uh, Persian um, community. So uh, I don't think that I have the wounds and uh, the injuries that maybe some uh, people of different religions feel about each other. So right. <laughs> it makes it a little bit different. I really appreciate that. Uh, I think we're coming close to a break time, but I just wanted to make one very quick uh, or give one very quick insight from uh, Sunni uh, Islamic mysticism that says Something we know, blessed are the flexible, for they will never be bent out of shape. So maybe when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about the basic difference between Sunnis and Shiites, which really is historical. In essence, it's the same. I really appreciate that. Kata, it's good to talk to you. We Thank will, you. We will continue our conversation in the next segment of the show. With pleasure. Eric is about to cut us off and tell us that it's time to do... <laughs> to listen to some of the sponsors who allow Please. us to be here. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. You're invited to attend American Pacific University's Clinical Hypnotherapy Seminar August 25th through the 27th in Seattle for 40% off. Hypnosis is a scientifically verified and effective technique to help us change our lives. You'll learn how to guide yourself and others to lose weight, quit smoking, and be free of physical pain. Fascinating discussions, informative demonstrations, and interactive exercises will let you use hypnosis after only one weekend. Call 1-800-63-HYPNO or go to ampac.edu to learn more. Occasional indigestion got you down? After meals, do you feel bloated, heavy, tummy hurt? Does occasional heartburn and indigestion or a just plain tired feeling take the energy out of your day? Vital digestive enzymes are needed to properly digest food and E12 provides them all. Customers often report a dramatic life improvement. Visit digesteasy.com. That's digesteasy.com. And discover E12 Food Enzymes, the digestive secret thousands have benefited from. Bonjour, my name is Veronique Raskin. I founded the Organic Wine Company 25 years ago. If you love wine and have not tried our French wines, you are in for a treat. Nowadays, people everywhere are buying organic fruits and vegetables because they know they taste better. Organic grapes are so luscious. When turned into wine, you can really taste the difference with every sip. So our wines are delicious and eco-friendly. So I want to make it easy for you to try them out. Call me right away at 1-888-ECO-WINE and I will send you three of my favorite organically grown French wines at half off the regular price. That's just $25 per shipping. Isn't that magnifique? I think so. If you don't share my enthusiasm, I'll gladly refund you money. So take me up on my offer and call me at 1-888-ECO-WINE. E-C-O-W-I-N-E. Au revoir. 
Want to get out of the rat race and stay out? Let Mary Hendrickson, cash flow specialist from First Horizon Home Loans, show you how. Mary takes 27 years of successful banking and brokering and turns them into stepping stones that pave the way to your financial independence. All loans closed for Dr. Pat Show listeners receive a $300 reduction in closing costs. Call Mary today at 425-576-2249 and begin your path to financial freedom. That's 425-576-2249. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to The Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Write it down, shout it loud. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, wasn't that fun? Alternative Talk Radio. 11.50 a.m., and it is fun. And this is Interfaith Talk Radio. And I'm here with Jamal Rahman and Kata Nafisi, and we are continuing our discussion about some of the realities about growing up a Muslim in Iran and kind of reaching across, cutting through some of the stereotypes which our culture is just feeding with such destructive energies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just briefly mention some informational facts about what the listeners might be confused about, Shiites and Sunnis. These are the two main denominations in Islam, pretty much like Catholics and Protestants in Christianity. In 632 CE, when Prophet Muhammad died, the question arose, who would succeed him, not as a spiritual successor, because you can't replace a prophet, but as a political successor who'd bind the community. And the group of people who said, let it be by democratic vote, those were the Sunnis. And the ones who said, let it be in the bloodline, in the lineage of Prophet Muhammad, they are called the Shiites. And statistically, in the Muslim world, 85% are Sunnis, and 15% are Shiites. The majority of Shiite countries are Iraq, Iran, and in Lebanon, 40% are also Shiites. I would say, as a Sunni, that the difference is really historical. It is one of form, but not of essence. Absolutely not uh, not of essence. And also I wanted to uh, affirm that in the Sunni tradition, there are literalists, but they really are a small minority. In the Sunni world, you have all kinds of Muslims, and you also have the silent majority in the Sunni world. And again, in essence, the difference between Sunnis and Shiites are minimal. They are Muslims, first and foremost. I wanted to ask uh, Katayun, uh, as one who is a Shiite, a woman, an Iranian, and knowing her as well as I do, uh, who has a knowledge of the heart, give us some insights, Katayun, about the current situation. It's a general question, but something that listeners can take to heart and cr- have greater awareness and some healing. 
<laughs> it's a million dollar question, yes, as yes, they say. In just a few seconds. Um, yeah, just in a few seconds. Basically, um, there are different approaches that one can take. I think emo- emotional approach uh, and uh, spiritual approach would be very easy because, of course, I'm a pacifist. Uh, I have immense compassion for Every human being that is affected and afflicted by the situation right now, whether it's uh, in Lebanon or uh, in Israel, um, and uh, I hear that people say civilians, innocent civilians. I think every human being is innocent. I think we should not be put in the position to actually separate between the fighters and the civilians because I don't want anybody to get killed. And uh, the same with the Iraq and uh, America situation right now. So emotionally, spiritually, uh, definitely I am a pacifist and I uh, am extremely sad and my heart is bleeding uh, for what is happening right now. But to analyze the situation, I think I would like to mention the Rumi uh, story of the elephant and the three blind men that uh, wanted to go to uh, get to know elephant. They were curious. So they were blind, of course, and it was a jungle and it was dark. So they each reached for the elephant and they touched only one part of the elephant. The one touched the ear and said, well, elephant is uh, like a fan. The other one touched the tail and said, elephant is like a broom. And the other one... uh, the legs and said elephant is definitely like a pillar like a column and we know that elephant is all of those but it is greater than that so any analysis that i want to make i think i'm only touching on reality and not the truth because truth really is a temporal issue it is also about the um uh, basically space that we are in and it will be very difficult what i can tell is that each and every human being wherever we are right now and we are affected and saddened by the situation in uh, lebanon and the conflict uh, and the war right now between israel and uh, lebanon we should try our best to one enlighten people around us and inform them about the reality of Muslims, the reality of Jewish, who they are as religious people, and also to basically try to take some steps. Like in um, in my practice, I uh, definitely uh, take every opportunity to inform my patients and uh, tell them about the um, reality of Iranians and the reality of the Middle Easterns and to tell them that mothers are mothers all over the world. Children have the same needs, the same aspirations, the same um, requirement, and that basically people all want to be just safe and they want to be secure and they want to have a piece of land and a shelter. And uh, one uh, wisdom, I think, that I would like to leave with everybody, uh, whether it is, um, you know, at international level or even uh, domestic, is that if we feel that we have the right of existence, we also have to feel the duty of compassionate, respectful coexistence. If truly we can follow that at international level and Um, understand that uh, we have to respect each other and be compassionate, then uh, maybe uh, we will make a little bit of change. Also, 
I um, have volunteered uh, at the Democratic Party, uh, and I am trying to basically um, encourage people to maybe make some changes if you're not happy with the present situation. Uh, Katarina, we had talked about the insight that it is very important for us not to demonize uh, any person or group. Please shed us, give us some awareness as a Shiite, as an Iranian, as a woman, about Hezbollah. Well, Hezbollah, if I'm right, because I'm not an expert to begin with, I am just your guest because I'm your friend and you have been kind, but Hezbollah actually means the party of God. Hezb means party, like a political party, and Allah means God. So it is like, you know, uh, uh, the name of people that are willing to... Uh, to uh, take action and participate and even uh, sacrifice their own well-being um, for God. So the name actually is a very, very compassionate and wonderful and divine name. And uh, the Hezbollah of uh, Lebanon is not exactly the Hezbollah of my country, Iran. I have to uh, make the differentiation. I have even talked to few people that are quite knowledgeable uh, and they are Lebanese. They have told me that the Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, is not really about imposing uh, the rigid rules of Islam on women or people as a whole and basically limit their freedom as individuals. They are basically um, a part of the government. They are uh, actually um, uh, showing a lot of goodwill, and they have shown it during the last few years. And um, they are just a group of militants uh, that, as I said, they are willing to... Um, uh, pass from their own comfort and the uh, routine of life to uh, make a difference. Uh, one thing that I have to mention, Jamal and Ted, it is very important, is that to say past is past, let's just talk about present, is a little bit simplistic. Uh, we need to uh, talk about the past, but we also have to have the spirit and the mind of a person like Nelson Mandela, who basically uh, was for forgiveness and for rebuilding and reconciliation. Uh, but it's important to know that uh, the anger that we see on the part of Hezbollah, it definitely is a reaction to certain uh, injustices and certain aggressions that the people uh, of that area have uh, experienced. Plus, I think it's important to add that Hezbollah has a social constituency, a political constituency in Lebanon. Very much so. There are 23 representatives in parliament, two Very cabinet so. ministers, and there's 40% of the population are Shiites who... I'm told strongly support the very Hezbollah. Very much so, very much so. And the Hezbollah actually is very involved in um, providing, um, not even uh, during this, uh, um, you know, conflict and actually war, I should call it, but even prior to that, they were basically responsible and involved in uh, providing um, residence, education, health care, and um, uh, different developmental activities uh, for the children uh, in the mountains of Lebanon. So they basically went through hardship themselves, and they have lots of um, followers and people that are not militants themselves, but they swear by Hezbollah, because Hezbollah does not mean terroristic group at all, at least by uh, the Lebanese uh, definition. Uh, it's just a very active uh, 
um, part of uh, their social and political and cultural and economical system. I think one of the things I'm aware of listening to this conversation is that <clears throat> it's very difficult um, to get past some of our prejudices and, much so. and the ways each of us as individuals perceive what's happening in the world and what has happened in the world. Yeah, I call that, Ted, forgive me if I interrupted you, but I call it the inherited uh, opposition. <laughs> means that you don't even have the facts, you don't know very well about the people and about the situation, but you have inherited a sense of uh, opposition and a sense of animosity and uh, maybe uh, rejection of the other side. What we can do is to truly free ourselves of the inherited resentment and start learning more, talking more, and to not miss any opportunity, whether it's on a plane or a train or whether uh, we are uh, at school or uh, waiting for a movie to start, to connect to people and talk and tell about ourselves. That way we can create unity and uh, uh, maybe reconciliation. I really appreciate that. We'll be back. We're you're listening to Interfaith Talk Radio, Jamal Rahman and I. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon, and we're talking to Kata Nafisi, uh, an Iranian woman who's been living in this country and who is a physician dealing with people who are in pain, and as you can hear, dealing with people who are in pain not only physically but emotionally as well. So we will be back uh, after these Messages from the people who are allowing us to talk to you. The Miracle Minute with Mary and Morrissey is an inspirational one-minute phone call sent daily to a phone of your choice. It's only $9.95 a month, and when you mention the Dr. Pat Show, you receive a month free with your subscription. Contact Karen at 503-922-3460. That's 503-922-3460. Or Karen at LifeSolutions.com. That's Karen at LifeSolutions.com to start receiving your Daily Miracle Minute. Occasional indigestion got you down? After meals, do you feel bloated, heavy, tummy hurt? Does occasional heartburn and indigestion or a just plain tired feeling take the energy out of your day? Vital digestive enzymes are needed to properly digest food and E12 provides them all. Customers often report a dramatic life improvement. Call 1-866-NO-BLOAT. That's 1-866-NO-BLOAT. And discover E12 food enzymes, the digestive secret thousands have benefited from. Introducing a fantastic new breakthrough in oral detoxification from natural cellular defense. It safely removes poisons and heavy metal toxins from the body that may be the cause of many chronic illnesses. It's safe enough for a baby. Presented by CopiousHealth.com. Come to a free seminar at Kirkland Holistic Center Tuesday, August 15th at 7 p.m. to learn more or visit CopiousHealth.com. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACES. Authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute. 
Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. information, call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. 1150kknw.com, your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And this is Interfaith Talk Radio. We're back again with you, engaging in our discussion, Jamal Rahman and I. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon. We're talking with Kata Nafisi, a woman who grew up in Iran, and we're talking about some of the very different views of an organization which most of us have been accustomed to seeing only the negative side of. I wanted to make one point very, very clear, whether it's Hezbollah or the Israeli Defense Forces or it's Hamas or anybody, that no matter what your religion, the killing of innocent people is just not acceptable. Whether it's the uh, Midrash or the Quran, both have the same insight that when you kill one innocent person, it is as if you're killing all of humanity. The Quran says that. I know the Midrash says that. And if you save one person, innocent person, it is as if you're saving all of humanity. So this sacrifice of innocent people on the altar of global interests, security, justice, I don't care what name we give it, that is not acceptable. I totally agree. And this is one of the purposes, I think, the larger purposes of this whole show and this whole dialogue in which we are engaged. Because what happens is everybody would agree with you, but we demonize the other so right. that they're not even, we don't consider them innocents. They're just blanketly evil, so it's somehow okay to kill them. And what we are aiming for is to realize that each of us is a whole human yes. being Absolutely. capable mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. love and capable of compassion. Very true. So I had a suspicion that our conversation would stimulate some interest in those calling in, and Eric tells me we have some callers. Absolutely. Let's talk to Gil. Oh, Hi. hello. Hi, Gil. Hi. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm a Christian getting his 13 cents in here. I, uh, I'm a Catholic, and I, I love this dialogue today. And uh, I just wanted, I was, my favorite theologian of the 20th century uh, was Hans Urs von Balthasar. And one of his short books is called, uh, titled, uh, Love Alone is Credible. Mm -hmm. And the title alone says it all for me, you know. And uh, I look at all of us, you know, uh, Muslims, Jews, uh, Buddhists, Christians, atheists. Every person walking this planet is made in the image and likeness of mm. God. How yeah. wonderful. You know, and, uh, and, I, and I particularly have meditated on the word likeness for many years. And uh, likeness meaning the activity of the heart, mind, and soul. Mm -hmm. You know, our ability to use our reason, the great gift of reason, uh, especially our gift of, of being able to love anybody. You know, if we're open to that, that's why, as it's been mentioned on this show by everybody, that the heart is the center of yeah. our reality as human persons. And it's hard to get there sometimes because uh, we become fractured and splintered in our faculties. It's true. true. You know, and I, I was just thinking that, you know, I've 
decided, you know, at age 60, that the only path for an individual to take is a path of holiness. And this is open to every religious person, you know, mm-hmm. every of any any religious faith that's open to every... God gifted all of us with this path in our own particular way to arrive at holiness. But the difficult part for me recently has been that it, me pursuing a path of holiness has a tendency to push me away from the politics because there's so much horror there. And uh, then I realized that uh, to take a path of holiness and being involved politically is the most difficult thing in the world to do. And that's why when I, you know, I think of uh, Honorable Sadat and and, uh, uh, Martin Luther King, and I think of these people who were miraculously able to arrive at a holiness in the body politic, this just blows my mind. This is things I can't comprehend because I know my limits, personal limitations, makes it impossible for me at this time, at age 60, to pursue holiness in the body politic. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Gil. The, there's always the difficulty of what happens when spirituality meets political power. It's so, it's such, I mean, you have to have a holiness that, to me, is, has to be holier than the holy men that walk around. It's a particular type of holiness that takes on, I mean, like a complexity and, and, a, and a difficulty that, you know, I'm not able to grasp because I can't see how, how it can be done. It's been done by individuals. Well, that is the now, way Gandhi is another, mm-hmm. another, another example mm-hmm. that, that you can take on holiness in this body politic. It's, in, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of an ongoing type of miracle in individuals. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Gil, I would say that uh, uh, really one good way, certainly for me, is to really ask myself, in the course of becoming holy, can I be metaphorical and go inside me and ask myself, besides the outer work I'm doing in speaking out, writing to Congress people, go joining demonstrations, what am I doing in my own life with myself, with my family, yes. with my friends? Where, in what places am I being a terrorist? Right, in which places exactly. am I building walls mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, through my words or lack of words or actions or lack of actions? My trip to Israel with Brother Ted and Don McKenzie, Pastor McKenzie, really opened me, me up to this stark, immediate truth. Let me start in my own life. Yeah, that they, is bringing yeah. holiness into it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, and for me as a Christian, uh, one of the things keep recurring in my mind when Jesus, I could only public, maybe there was other incidents, but the only public prayer I can recall that he had made was and he prayed for unity, mm-hmm. and I and I, I think that's because he knew that that's the most difficult uh, act, human most difficult human act is unity. Yeah, and I because, think. And ahead. then the other thing that uh, you know, like this, you can find this in the Quran, you can find it in in the Torah, you can find it in, in the, the New Testament. But this thing about violence, you know, people say, "Oh, they're all violent." But you know, I think of like the the Christians said, you know, only the violent bear, violent bear it away. You know, you got to take heaven by force, and this you know justified the Crusades and blah blah. But the point is, is that now I understand that you know our violence is is, is part of who we are, and that this cannot be, I think, dismissed like psychologically. That it has to be subsumed into the very life of God. Meaning, what I mean by that is, is that Jesus said he kept saying. I do not do my will. I do the will of my Father who sent me. And we all have the same Father, and our Father sends all of us, of all religious uh, faiths, He sends all of us to bring mm-hmm. His love into the world. And so I think that that's the crux of the whole major conflict, is that if we reside in love, in God's love, 
every action, no matter what we do. If we defend, we can defend ourselves, and that might incur like a violence. But if we if we do not demonize, as everybody's been saying on your show, we do not demonize the other, mm-hmm. even the other that we fight to defend ourselves. There, then we can still reside in love. So, th- in other words, I'm saying is that uh, violence, it's in and of itself, is not the problem. The problem is that we fail to love. I think. Gil, mm-hmm. you very you well express said. yourself mm-hmm. eloquently, and thank you very much for your call. Thank you for this great show. It's a great, great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Adam now. Hi, Adam. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Thank shalom, you. shalom. Uh, I've been really inspired by hearing the show today, and I heard some beautiful uh, words of trying to overcome the stereotypes about what's going on elsewhere in the world and doing this healing work here at home in the Seattle area as well. And I wanted to let you and all of the rest of the listeners know that there's a wonderful project going on in the Israel-Palestine area called Sucha, which is an Arabic word for reconciliation. And this will be a festival in just a couple of weeks where 6,000 people, Arabs and Israelis, Muslims and Jews, will be coming together to share their stories, uh, to share their grieving together, to share food and music. And uh, this is a beautiful model, I think, mm-hmm. for bringing people together, even in the midst of crisis. Absolutely. It, it, Adam, it turns out when we were in Israel, one of the people we spent some time with was Eliyahu McLean, who uh, is very active in this project. And we also met at the home of a sheikh in the old city of Jerusalem who participates in this. So thank you for reminding us. What's really striking is that even in the midst of the kinds of energies that are going on in the Middle East, there are still people willing and able to stand up and sit together. It's incredible. Stand up and sit, Mm -hmm. dance together, and listen to each other and move toward greater peace. So... Adam, thank you very Absolutely. much for your call. God will bless you for your work, Adam. And, and thank you for the show. You're well, very you welcome. For thank you. Um, I'd like to thank Kata Nafisi for gracing the studio and the airwaves with your pleasure. presence. And I'd like to tell the listeners that next week will be a somewhat different show because Jamal, uh, Don, and I will all be at Indralaya Retreat Center on Orcas Island leading a retreat on the tension between religious form, the religious institution, and spirituality. And our intention is to do the show from there. Uh, So for the first time, we'll have a live audience because the retreatants will form that audience, and we invite you to what will be for us a great experiment to see what it's like to do this uh, program from Orcus. In the meantime, please visit internet talk, uh, interfaithtalkradio.com, uh, where you'll find a little bit later tonight a kind of summary of the show and an invitation to share your own comments, let us know how you're feeling, and begin to deepen a relationship between those of us who are talking here, those of you who are listening there, 
and hopefully find ways for us to communicate with each other. So thank you for being with us today. Uh, The chant that's been opening and closing our show today is the simple chant of Shalom. Shalom is the kind of peace that flows from wholeness, completeness, that lies at the heart of our being. Shalom. Shalom.